Hello, welcome back to the Thoughts from Limbo podcast. I had a lot of fun recording this episode. I was joined by the contagiously vibrant Emma Louise Boynton, presenter, producer, and co-founder at Her Hustle, a mission-driven creative production agency working to elevate women's voices and tell stories with impact. She was refreshingly candid, nothing was off bounds. She's not afraid to get personal, and that's exactly what I love to see in people. We both agreed that it's by being unapologetically vulnerable and open with people that we're able to learn from each other, so it was exactly my kind of conversation. She shares her career journey and the events that motivated her to start the company, and we discuss some of the hurdles that women continue to face, both in the world of work and generally in life. From body shaming to aging, to women in media and sexual health, we go there. So please enjoy Emma Louise Boynton. Hi, Emma. How are you? Hello. I'm really well, thank you. Yeah, I'm really well, except that it's really dark where I am and I'm sitting in a really dark room. So I kind of look like this kind of shadowy, <laughs> spectacled being popping up on the on the Zoom camera. So I'll No, it's nice. Fun. I really like it. I really like the glow on the beads as well from the light. <laughs> I increasingly dress like a kind of bonkers librarian. I've got these like <laughs> big, massive new tortoiseshell glasses. And then there's like um, one of those chain beaded glasses things to tie them around my neck because I keep losing them. But I do, and I've just got this new big fairy pink hat. So I do just walk around the office and people are oh. like, you look insane. So yeah, nice. Whatever. I love bright colors. As you can see, I'm rocking like a bright green. And yes. the other day I was wearing like this bright purpley pink kind of like fuchsia shirt. Yeah, I just feel like, I don't know, the winter's too dull to not wear bright colours. I couldn't agree more. And here I am, the bonkers librarian. <laughs> By the way, I called you Emma, but is it Emma Louise? Because I appreciate there's a hyphen. I don't want to mess with your identity. It is there is hyphenated as Emma Louise, but I honestly don't care at all. People <laughs> always think I'm going to get very offended, but I kind of like seeing what people come out with. So I get, get shortened to everything like ELB, Emmy Lou, M. So honestly, I don't mind at all. Not offended. Okay, perfect. I, I went for Emma Louise just in case and all the emails, but I thought I, I bet you that this isn't going to be an issue. But anyway, yeah. um, so thanks so much for joining me. I'm really excited for this episode. Um, please, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and what it was that gave you the idea to start Her Hustle? Yes, absolutely. And equally, I'm very excited to be on the podcast too. It's a nice chat. So thank you for having me. Um, yeah. So God, where, I get, where do I go back to? So the initial idea for Her Hustle came out of a personal existential crisis, which perhaps isn't so unusual um, in the like startup space. Um, but both me and my co-founder, Elspeth Mary, we both were in our like mid twenties and feeling like doing really interesting stuff. I was working in journalism and uh, just come back from New York where I was working for Tina Brown and Elspeth worked in, uh, still works in music. Uh, she was working at Universal Music at the time. But both of us just felt like we weren't really sure what we wanted from our careers and we didn't really know where to go. Careers advice had always felt very staid and very, just really outdated. I just felt like I'd never been given genuinely good advice around what jobs actually entail. So I'd look at these job applications, which actually I continue to this day find job applications 
mortifyingly terrifying so I still don't do them but um but you'd look at all these kind of lofty job titles and they just didn't really mean anything to me and I didn't really understand what the different jobs would entail and so there was one evening when Elspeth and I were at a gentlewoman event you know the magazine gentlewoman Uh and they curate these really fun events where they bring together a great group of women and you just do kind of random activities and we were doing a life drawing class and there was classical music in the background we were like god this is so beautiful bringing together women in a space that isn't about like drinking and going out like and clubbing it's actually we're doing a really lovely creative joint exercise all while getting to meet brilliant amazing women and it kind of struck us we're like god we'd love to do something like this um and as I said we're both also struggling with thinking about our careers at the time so we were like hmm could we potentially do something where we get to bring together amazing women but discussing careers and work issues and that was really the genesis of the of the company and from that we began hosting these events our first one was actually at universal music where we'd have a panel of incredible women discussing what it really means to do what they do how they got there and how they get it all done so that was the genesis of the company and over time obviously it has evolved and pivoted a million times over as they always do. Uh, It's worth noting, I actually went full time in the business a week before lockdown happened. Mm. And we were obviously a live events business and that was our real like bread and butter. We just done our biggest event. Uh, We did the International Women's Day event for Soho House, White City. And it'd been amazing. We'd had like incredible panel workshop. We had Mahalia play. And then a week later we went into lockdown and obviously we thought, okay, it's gonna be like, you know, three weeks tops fast forward months and months and we were just living on like webinars and zooms and everything um so had to really evolve and pivot the company and now to kind of fast track through a lot of change a lot of like pain growth pains um a lot more existential angst I think that's kind of a perennial issue of mine um I'm now running her hustle as a female focused production company so really going back to our roots of putting on events hosting events I also host and create podcasts and other content uh for typically female focused brands um and covering kind of female focused topics so particularly sex and taboo topics so it's evolved quite a lot but it's really still doing what we'd love best which is events and content creation yeah that's so cool I've actually I've listened to some of the your podcast episodes called the art of living now is it yes okay I'll I'll leave a link to anyone who who wants to have a listen because they're really cool and some of your articles as well like I appreciate it's a taboo subject but Gwyneth Paltrow came in and smashed through that so (laughs) I think it's just the right time to be writing about it writing about sex a hundred percent I think yeah sex and taboos it's weird you know something I started writing like focusing on sex uh last year and I really like a lot of credit to Charmaine Reed who I was part of like the team that helped set up the stack um with Charmaine and which is like an incredible platform women's platform that everybody should sign up to but I started as one of like the founding editors um working there and it coincided with me starting sex therapy. And I had basically couldn't orgasm for years. I've written about a lot and kind of just felt like I was broken. It was me and whatever. And then was suggested by a friend that 
I could actually fix my perennial sexual woes, which was news to me. I just thought I was broken and I couldn't be fixed and that was it. And so I started sex therapy and Shara at the time, we were, I think we were just on a phone call. You were on FaceTime. It was midst of lockdown and she was called me in the middle of the day. I told her about sex therapy and she was like, you should write this. This should be a column. And so yeah, the column was born, which was conversations with my, conversations with my sex therapist, which was really what kind of, I think prompted a deeper interrogation into sex as a topic area mm-hmm. and it's so fascinating to me because I think it combines so many areas of interest in that it's never just sex or an orgasm it's gender politics it's identity politics it's body co- positivity issues it's a whole myriad of subject matter that is so tied into gender politics that to me is just so endlessly endlessly fascinating. And weirdly, I actually wrote my dissertation on sex and power at university. So there's kind of a circularity to this return to sex being a real core focus. Um, So yeah, so off the back of that column, I've just set up a a monthly event called Sex Talks. I'm actually about to release a new podcast series called Talking Taboos with Day, in which we delve into a whole range of taboo topics. So yeah, it's, it's strange. I think when you reflect back on your career, there's just so many things that, like sliding doors moments where like yeah as I said like one column then precipitates this whole body of new work and yeah that's kind of always I think how my career has unfolded thus far. That's so cool we actually in one of our episodes we interviewed a woman called Gabriella Rosa she's based in Australia and she's a fertility specialist and she she always posts about you know female orgasms pleasure sex in the context of women because it's often what's missed out on like in the conversation whenever people talk about sex and yeah she was just saying how important it is for health like genuine general health like how it affects your hormones how that affects your psychology etc etc so yeah it's a really important topic to be talking about so I can't wait for this new podcast to come out yay I know me too and also come (laughs) to sex talks we talk all about sex because I think to that point it's the thing that I found pretty revelatory in doing sex therapy and then just digging into this topic area is, as you say, it's not like for a long time, I just kind of cut off the sexual component to myself. I just assumed I couldn't orgasm. I didn't really enjoy sex. I've had quite a lot of like bad experiences sexually. So I just assumed that that was an area of my life that just like wasn't really part of me I didn't really cultivate it didn't really focus on it and it's like you wouldn't neglect your diet I like exercise a lot I'm healthy I like to read like I'm nurturing and cultivating all these other aspects of my life because I appreciate how important they are to my holistic well-being but sexually I just yeah I just kind of cut it off and dismissed it and now focusing on it more from a personal perspective than also having all these conversations with uh, really interesting people who know lots more than I do um, around sex and sexual wellness I've really been just introduced to just how critical a component your sexual wellness is to your overall well-being mm-hmm. and you can't it's like with anything, you just lose that equilibrium if you cut off and ignore one facet of your being. So I've now become a really vocal advocate for sexual wellness as like a core component to people's general health. And how, because I mean, it's obviously when we spoke to Gabriella, she's a specialist. So it's it's a lot, the conversation's a lot more like as, as open as she was, it's still kind of shadowed behind she's a clinician. So it's very clinical. Mm. It's a lot more, whereas you're expressing 
like your personal opinion super openly super candidly how like where does that confidence come from like what was the turning point of you just saying I'm super confident like I'm super comfortable talking about this when it's still such a taboo topic socially Mm. that's an interesting question I don't think it's so much a confidence as it is a hmm let me think about this I I'm pretty like shameless in that I don't I think I really don't mind talking about like the most personal issues at mm-hmm. all. It just doesn't. I don't, that those aren't things. I do get embarrassed about some things, but that, those just aren't the things I get embarrassed about. I think that I really appreciate emotional vulnerability in other people and likewise seek to kind of return that emotional vulnerability. I think that's how the most genuine and also nourishing and fruitful relationships are born. And also from which the most interesting and human stories are really um, expressed. So I think that it was never really a problem for me in talking about um, it so personally. That being said, I would caveat that actually with, it's interesting because I think people always say you shouldn't write about something personal when you're still processing it mm-hmm. and so there was a bit there was an element of me when I was writing this column and I was doing sex therapy I was kind of coming to terms with a lot of the things that were coming up in sex therapy in the writing probably mm-hmm. and I think that's probably it ended up being quite a sporadic column probably for that reason because I think there was a lot of like processing that had to happen but then I was trying to get, get out these columns to, to so there were points at which it was more like and there was stuff I also like hadn't told my family about being like sexually assaulted and not really having processed that, which then, I mean, I remember the day that column was published and I was like, had a panic attack and was like, oh my God. But in the end, you know, I'm really glad that I did write that. And I'm really glad that it has then sparked conversations amongst other people. And it's sparked, like, as I said, this general um, kind of shift in my area of interest in terms of my work. There's one more point I want to make on this because it's one that I really have been mulling over of late. And that's to do with how women typically do in journalism are kind of more often encouraged to write really personally and to write and to kind of mine their own personal traumas Mm -hmm. and um, stories because it does make for really good copy and content generally. And I think there is quite a like kind of gendered way in which that happens. So I think typically like men will get put in the bracket of like writing about politics and economics and the kind of serious subjects. Whereas then women get put into this kind of more like the personal stories. Mm-hmm. And I think that is true. And I remember Nell Frizzell, um, this incredible author who wrote The Panic Years and writes a lot about her experience of motherhood and writes from that very personal perspective. She talks about this in her book and says that's a question that she's really grappled with. Is she falling into a kind of quite a gendered trope in writing so honestly about her personal stories? And then she made a point that I really do attach to and I think is really important that that's also, it's quite um, quite a kind of sexist idea or like manifestation of patriarchy really that we that we dismiss the weight and the importance of personal stories and yes i think there is a problem with women perhaps being kind of pushed towards mining their traumas for copy because i do think there are some kind of you know ethical issues there but generally like this is life this is what mm-hmm. really matters this is like the essence of being these are issues that are incredibly important 
And I think that speaking from a personal perspective often I think can be the best catalyst for prompting uh, way more um, in-depth and honest conversations about topic areas. And again, as I said, these are issues that really, really matter from motherhood to sex, sexual trauma to any other taboo topic. So I almost think kind of, as I say, I kind of grapple with this in my head. I'm like, should I be writing this stuff? Should I not? And then I think, you know what? More power to more women writing stuff that actually really does matter. And, you know, I'd also rather write about this than economics. Yeah, like I agree on like every level. So I do think there is an ethical issue. So I do think that maybe the scales need to be tipped or there just needs to be more of a mindfulness around that issue. But I do also agree Firstly, I also prefer to talk about personal topics, but then also secondly, people underestimate how important these issues are and how important sharing personal stories are. And I actually mm-hmm. am really glad you brought it up because I listened, it was ages ago, but I loved this episode. I think I might've listened to it twice. It was a podcast episode on the Armchair Expert podcast with Dak mm-hmm. Shepard. And they invited a biologist I want to say like his specialty was like anthropology um called Brett Weinstein I think and he Mm. spoke about the way that women so women have a natural and very rational tendency to talk more about emotions about people like when you you know gossip is sometimes categorized as something that we shouldn't be doing but when you talk about other people you talk about emotions you talk about experiences as opposed to just things um that where men tend to talk more about like things or make jokes or things that are more short term women tend to talk about bigger picture things that affect people or things that have happened to people and he says like if you think about you know tens of thousands of years ago before we lived in civilized communities men could impregnate multiple women and then leave them to it Mm. so very oftentimes um women would be left as single parents single mothers that's also a reason why women's periods sync up if you spend a lot of time around other women women's periods sync up because the whole point is for us to have kids at roughly the same time so that then women created a community that supported each other with child rearing And Mm. gossiping or talking about people, talking about emotions, talking about stories helps create that sense of community. When you talk about emotions and you storytell, there's been scientific evidence to show that people remember lessons better when you link Mm. it to a story. And that's how like we've, you know, before writing or scripture or whatever, we used to tell stories. That's how we remember things. Um, So there's actually a very good reason for it. And I think you're right. Like it is so undervalued that, you know, men will maybe talk about the news or political things that are going on, which are more serious. I say that in air quotes. Um, But then, yeah, women are kind of marginalized for talking about things that are equally important to humanity. Hmm. And by the way, just to comment that, I I agree with that. I think actually... um... Um, Yuval Harari talks about that in Sapiens about how gossip was like the real like fundamental uh, thing that helped create communities as you say it's like the thing that binded communities together I do want to caveat that with I do think that it's super important that women are also writing and reporting on politics and economics are in, are in all those spaces and I think it's really galvanizing I was listening to the radio um, to Radio 4 this morning and I thought how incredible that I'm listening to two 
with female broadcasters laura kunzberg obviously the political editor of the bbc and i think it was um what's her name martha uh carney who is on today uh presenter having just two strong female voices being the people who are discussing the news as over my breakfast that to me I was like that's really exciting and I think different from when I was when I was growing up so I so I do I do still think it's important for women to be in those spaces but I think yeah I do think that it's just important that we value these different styles of reporting because that's what it is it's reporting mm-hmm. it's reporting on life it's reporting on issues but I just think it's important that we value the different ways in which people do that and we don't make the more personal narrative aspect of media and journalism which typically is um uh there are more women in that we don't devalue that because I think it is just as if not more important than than other than everything else yeah I completely agree and so when you started her hustle just to go back to the beginnings of this you mentioned it was you had another full-time job so the her hustle was like a side job that you were running um so I'd actually set up another company called the Ven, which was a had a very noble um agenda but had a terrible terrible slash non-existent business plan like I had no idea how we were going to make any money and we didn't make any money so that's why it ended mm-hmm. um but it was a political issues platform that sought to create more um bipartisan uh healthier political discourse ahead of the 2020 US election so I was writing these like weekly essays that went out in newsletter and then running socials and uh yeah just trying to like create conversations around politics that weren't so tribalistic mm-hmm. with a focus on America which was kind of bonkers because we were based in London but both me and my co-founder were American born and had spent a lot of time there so I was running the Ven at the time and her hustle actually was a real breath of fresh air for me because as I said, we didn't have a great business plan. And I think I'd just gone in so blind to setting up a company. I, my previous co-founder is an amazing businessman, but I think he would just was, was retiring from his old job. And I think he had a lot going on. I just didn't know what I was getting myself in for. I think mm-hmm. I really liked the idea of being a founder. And I think a lot of people do probably start a business for that reason and maybe don't admit it but I wanted to be a founder I felt like it seemed powerful and cool and I loved I like bought totally into the kind of girl boss vibe and I so yeah so I was setting up this previous company and I was just finding it so isolating and my co-founder was traveling a lot so I was just doing a lot of the trying to figure out what felt to me like a totally unsolvable maths equation how to grow and run this company whilst being like in the weeds of political US politics because I was having to like create all the content um which was quite a lot so I was in a bit of a when her hustle started when we set it up and it was like our first event and then second event and all that stuff it was just really fun and it was connecting me back to I've always worked in I've always worked in broadcast journalism and it's really like the live element of things that's excited me so when I was in New York I worked sorry for um for Tina Brown for her uh live journalism event I love events I love anything that's live where you're you're around real people it's in real time there's that excitement that adrenaline kick and so it became this like my like happy place where the other business just felt so impossible and increasingly frustrating. Um, From a timing perspective, I probably ended up putting way more time into her hustle, which then obviously eventually did jump Um, with the blessing of my previous co-founder. He was really supportive and said that it was like the right thing to do, but it was, yeah, it was a lot to juggle at first, but as I said, it was just so joyful. And I think I couldn't have done it without 
Elspeth, who is my co-founder, she's mm-hmm. set up a different company now. So we're working separately, but we still live together and are happily married, basically. Oh, that's <laughs> um, so nice. We, uh, but we, yeah, it would have been really lonely. Instead, it was just, it was so joyful. And I think all those like late nights on, in spreadsheets, I didn't understand anything of it was made so fun just because I was doing it with her. And there was this joint endeavor that we were, yeah, that we were joint thing that we were doing together. Mm-hmm. So really having a co-founder was the thing that made it doable and fun. Wow. That's really, that's so fun. I also kind of have that thing. I don't know if this will lead me on to my next question, but so my dad's an entrepreneur. He, he's an architect by trade, but he then out of need because there was like lack of jobs at the time in Spain, he became an entrepreneur. Same wow. thing with my granddad. My granddad was an entrepreneur and I just have this weird reverence for entrepreneurs. I think it's such a brave thing to do to set up your own company and to, to grow it. And, you know, it's, it's thanks to them who, that I've had the life that I've had. So I, I just have that reverence for it um I was wondering did you always have that entrepreneurial streak or was there something else that like when you were in high school what did you see yourself doing in short no I really honestly I'm not I'm trying to try and frame this in a way that's not negative because (laughs) you know negative talk's not good (laughs) I'm really bad at like looking into the future and I obviously like no one has a crystal ball but like I just I find it really hard to future plan and uh I've been told now by like so many people that I am actually going to, I think I'm, well, so everyone keeps asking me if I have quite, um, if I have ADHD, which I think probably might explain it because it's a bit like temporal, dis- uh. like disconnect is a big thing of that. Um, lots of women being underdiagnosed with neurodiverse issues. So it could be, yeah. well be it. But, um, but yeah, I just find it really difficult to look into the future. I've never been like future planner. I very much look in, I can look into the next like month or two months. And I think it's been evident like throughout my career, I was at school, I was really focused on getting good grades, but I like didn't think about where I was going to go to university. Eventually did go to university. At university, I just wanted to get a first, didn't think about jobs. Then graduated and was like, oh my God, what? You have to get a job. So stayed and so did a master's just because academia was what I knew and then did an internship. Again, threw myself into the masters, threw myself into internship and still had no clue what was going to happen after. Then those came to the end and was like, shit, the, the key, things keep ending and I still don't know what I want. Um, so like really, no, I think I, I'd always wanted to go into politics because I was interested and still am in, well, yeah, it's kind of a thing that's underpinned my whole career, but like positive social change, particularly when it concerns women. Mm-hmm. And I think growing up I had especially at school had a very like narrow view of how you create change and I thought that if you wanted to be a change maker you had to go into politics or you had to work for a charity or an NGO and that was it and so I worked went to a think tank I found think tank life like intellectually stimulating but like t- practically incredibly boring and then was drawn to news and the media because I was obsessed with the radio I learned so much from radio and would listen to Women's Hour and it was like such an education for me in terms of helping cultivate my politics, my feminism. Uh, and I thought if I can be a part of creating this sort of important content that I think is such a kind of lever for change, then, oh my gosh, I'll be so happy. So I kind of fell sideways, backwards, roly-polyed into media 
And from that, again, like never really applied for jobs, just kind of met people along the way. I used to volunteer loads, would like mm-hmm. volunteer at literary festivals, at film festivals, because I was broke and would just get to watch free films and loved getting to meet new people. But so just kind of would just meet people along the way who would just, who'd be like, great, come and intern. I'd be like, cool. Or like, you know, come and do some, you know, badly paid thing here. Um, so that's really kind of how I evolved in the media. And genuinely, when I went to, I was working at Sky News because I'd met someone at a, a literary festival I was volunteering at and it was with Sky that I ended up going to America to work on the Trump election campaign the coverage that they did there mm-hmm. um and I met Tina Brown in an elevator I was taking her she was one of our guests on the show and I literally oh took God. her downstairs and I was like so <laughs> and I was I just broke coming out of um a like long-term relationship with my ex-boyfriend and was heartbroken and I'm very lucky I have an American passport because I was born there and so I'd went, gone to New York for these two weeks and I decided there, I was like, why am I in London? Like, I just need to move. So I kind of just lied to everyone there and was like, yes, I'm moving to New York, like really excited. Yeah, so like, you know, just kind of began planting my seed and met Tina, we started chatting and I was like, yeah, so I'm actually, you know, I work for Sky now, but I'm moving to New York. Um, yeah, uh, you wow. know, imminently. Uh, would love to keep in touch and kind of managed to keep up that line. And they ended up having a position at her company um, that was coming up literally what ended up happening I think that was in November I met the person who was soon to become my manager in December because she happened to be in London and she was like so amazing you're like moving to New York this is like so cool like could you start on January 1st and I was like of course I can literally three weeks ahead of like it was oh yeah, my gosh to pack up my life and move but it's like the best thing ever. So I packed up my suitcase. I literally went to New York with two suitcases and like nowhere to stay. I just stayed with my friend for a week and was like, I'm sure I'll find my feet. And you did. And I did. I've totally gone on a tangent because I can't remember what your question was. No, it oh, was. It was I want to be an entrepreneur. No, I had no idea. I never <laughs> wanted to be an entrepreneur. I loved the idea of starting my own thing, but didn't know what that would entail. Didn't know what that meant. I was always interested in media and broadcasting, but wanted, you know what? I think that maybe deep down, now I feel like I'm in a therapy session because I'm going to the root of why I think this is. <laughs> but I think I always loved the environment of media that I was working in. I found it so intellectually stimulating. I love the people. And I love the subject matter. I loved getting to constantly research and learn new things. Mm-hmm. But I felt continually frustrated because I felt like there wasn't significant impact in what I was doing. And there wasn't enough of a tangible impact in what I was doing. And I also felt like I, I resented being a small cog and a massive wheel. Mm-hmm. And I always felt that and I could, could never quite isolate what exactly it was that I found unsatisfying, but I did jump around a lot because I did find that had this constant inner dis, like dissatisfaction. So I think that without knowing it, I did always actually want to create my own thing because then I could do all the jobs mm-hmm. and I could get to cover all the ground um, and feel at least feel like a bigger cog in my own wheel, which you know comes with its own challenges, but it is fun. Do you know what? I admire you so much because there are so many, I mean, not not direct, but there are parallels between your story and mine in the sense that I bounced around loads. I had no idea what I wanted to do. And the main difference, I think, between your story and mine is that it's just a mindset, like because you're not future oriented, whereas I am a giant stress head who I live in the future for like 90% of the time, which is so unhealthy because it just means that I'm constantly worried about consequences. Have I made the right choice? Mm. Is this the right option? Blah, blah, blah. When really like there's, there's no point because as you said, no one's got a crystal ball. No one can predict the future. Just 
enjoy and embrace and make the most out of what you're doing. Um, Mm -hmm. And I wish I would have learned that. I mean, I say to myself, I've learned that it's still like, it's difficult to apply in practice, but I'm working on it. Um, So yeah, it's, it's great that you're not that future oriented because it's, it gets you further, I think, to like embrace the present. I do want to caveat that slightly with, I do really stress about the future. I get really worried, but I just I'm to- feel utterly incapable about imagining it. I do. So I do worry. I carry a lot of anxiety around the future. I'm like, ah, like, where is this going to go? But I just like, can't see past like the next like month or two. I'm just like, I just, I can't like, it's bad things. I'm like, I don't really, I need to get better at like saving and thinking about like the longer term vision, but you know, so I do worry. I have to say I am a massive warrior, but trying to, I think trying to let that go. And to your point, like, I think that's probably like one of my biggest learnings is like, I'm about to turn 30 in June and I've been being very reflective, especially to start the new year and everything. Mm-hmm. And I have worry. I've spent my twenties in a state of constant worry and anxiety, like mm-hmm. in tailspins. And my parents always say to me that I just like, stop worrying, just try and enjoy it because you're only young once and blah, blah, blah. And obviously you never listen to your parents. Then one day you're older and you realize that they were right all along. And it's so frustrating. But I think if the pandemic showed us anything, it really is you can't have like firm grip on the future. You really don't know what it's going to entail. And I think whilst I do think saving and being a bit strategic and pragmatic with how, with the moves that you make career-wise and in other aspects of your life is important. I do think it is, you can spend your whole life looking into the future and worrying about how things are going to pan out. And like, I know it's a cliche, but like you could literally be hit by a bus tomorrow. Like you have no Mm -hmm. idea. And I think it is just so important to be able to constantly, like, I think just to check back in and be like, okay, I am building something bigger and better than myself and what I'm working on, but am I enjoying the day to day? And if the answer is no, then I think you have to reprogram what you're doing because I think there was a point actually in this, uh, in setting up her hustle where Elspeth and I really had that feeling. We just turned around one day and we're both like, I hate this. I hate what we're doing. I hate the day to day of it. And I'd actually gone to New York. It was in April last year. And we'd been, we'd set up her hustle. We were doing loads of these online events. We started the membership and oh my gosh, the members were amazing. Lots of stuff we were doing was super fun, but it just wasn't what we wanted to be doing. Like I love creating content I love creating events and that sort of thing and instead it was incredibly like we were trying to grow this business model that neither of us were particularly emotionally wedded to and neither of us really cared about and we just had to have this reckoning and it felt like so relieving when we had this conversation we both kind of admitted to one another like I just don't see this as what as the future like I don't care enough about this potential future for it to be worth this day-to-day that feels quite miserable mm-hmm. and I think that was such a turning point. And like I say, now I'm running it as a female focused production company, creating events, creating content. It's back to what I love doing. And I think had it, it was a big kind of step down to be able to admit that actually like it had to change. So Mm -hmm. I do think it is important to continually like check in and be like, okay, is this giving me joy? Am I actually satisfied? Do I feel fulfilled in what I'm doing day to day? And if the answer is no, then press reset. Mm -hmm. 
And I love the thing about empowering women, like, you know, creating content that empowers women, because I read an article in the magazine that comes with the Times on a Saturday, specifically. Mm. I don't know why I just became obsessed with that magazine. It became like habitual from like, it's very, it's probably not, it's more of a middle-aged market, I'd say, but I don't know, my parents had it. What, T2? uh, No, it's literally called Magazine. Times Magazine. Yeah, Times Magazine comes with the Times newspaper on a Saturday. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah, I love Times Magazine. Yeah, it's really, it's really good. It's, I, I think it's supposed to be written for like a more middle-aged audience. But I mean, there's always really cool startups, really cool people, people mm, like shaping, yeah, social views on things. And there was a woman. Uh, she was a former top model who's now in her mm. late fifties, called Paulina Porzikova, or mm. Porzikova. Um, and she was talking about the fact that. So she had always been, if you see the picture, she's like a spectacular woman. Um, And, you know, throughout her entire life, she used to get a lot of attention if she ever went to any social events. Um, And it was like, she said that hit 50, she could walk into any room and not be recognized, which I mean, Mm. I highly doubt, but that was her experience, at least in contrast to what her experience was 10 years prior. Um, And yeah, I was just wondering whether you you've seen a shift in the kind of things that we're seeing about women in the media or whether there's like a conscious effort to you know empower older women also I think actually Elspeth and I were having a conversation not too dissimilar to this the other day uh, when we were watching Sex and City the reboot Mm. which I was very skeptical about at first because the first 10 minutes of episode one I don't know if you've watched it have you seen it yeah episode one I watched the first 10 minutes were a car crash and I thought that everyone in the writer's room should be fired immediately (laughs) it was just the like trying to be so woke it was unwoke it was just awful they just tried to get in like a bajillion and one themes and just it totally fell down Mm -hmm. however I have totally revised my opinion of the series since then (laughs) and one of the things that I really love about it is that you are watching these older women I mean they're not old and like we had to shift our mindset in terms of age because especially we're all gonna live until we're like 90 100 but they are older women and I realized watching it, I was like I've never watched older women on tv doing just normal things dating like showcasing their friendships their career woes everything and there was something really kind of beautiful in that and I think yes there's tons of problems with the show and you can like you know you know there's there's criticism to be had there but I think ultimately I found it really galvanizing to see these women who, and there's one episode when Carrie goes into the surgeon's office and he shows her what he can do to her face and basically take off the last 15 years. And she says, she's like, oh my gosh, yeah, I I remember that girl. And there's this beautiful moment where she kind of recognizes like, yes, that youthful person was wonderful and those times were great, but she was like, I've loved the past 15 years. I don't want to undo that. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah. So I think that the representation of women has got much better in the media in that I think we are seeing a more diverse range of women. And I think that's so important. And I think yeah, also just seeing how their friendships grow and how they've evolved. And like, I'm obsessed with this idea of female friendships, the greatest romances of our lives. And I'm constantly saying that to Elspeth and I'm actually about to host an event on about, about it. Um, yeah. But I think that they are. And I think seeing the 
you know, these relationships grow into older age is such a wonderful and beautiful thing. And it's not just the focus being on men and marriage and children, but it's actually on the enduring power of female friendships and those and those relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I do think the representation of women is changing. And I think they're also seeing more like models who are older and more, yeah, just a greater variety. And I often, I do find myself really notably struck by the variety of like of women that I, that I do see around, even if it's just on like the tube and on, in magazines. Cause I look back to the very, very monolithic, thin white woman that I was overexposed to growing up. And I had a really bad eating disorder growing up as I've written about before. And I really was inspired and spurred on by the size zero trend that was coming out of Hollywood. And I would just flick wow. through these magazines and look online and I would just saw like pin thin women. And that's no blame to those women at all. It was a culture we were growing up in, but there was just such a monolithic image of what women looked like. And it was all, yeah, young, thin, kind of heroin chic. So I think to look now and see even like campaigns in the tube where women of all different sizes, I wish I could have grown up seeing that. I wish I could have grown up seeing cellulite and not hating my body so much like hating it it's taking me to you know I'm now 29 and although yes I still massively struggle with like accepting my body which I've just abused to the nth degree since I was younger I don't hate it anymore but it's taken a long time to get here and it makes me so sad to think of all the years I wasted hating it and all the energy that was misdirected towards this ongoing battle with myself when I could have spent that time doing any number of other things and yeah I mean not to reduce the point to this but like fuck the patriarchy because it is fucking patriarchal beauty standards yeah. that have led women to wage these constant battles so yeah so I think images are changing and I think that's a great thing to just like speed up yeah I completely agree I also I didn't have an eating disorder that was necessarily diagnosed but I definitely didn't have a healthy relationship with my body image and I still struggle with it now. Like I've never, I've never been overweight in clinical terms, but there have been times where, you know, you put on a bit of weight and like my body would be like, I'd immediately panic. Like, Oh my God. And Mm. you know, you have to just remind yourself Mm. it's Christmas. It's fine. Like, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. It's just so, such a waste of your headspace. It's just such a sad thing that, and I just I don't know any woman who doesn't struggle with it in some capacity, and that's what it's just. That's like, if you think of the amount of mental energy that women spend, specifically women spend, and I know that men do sometimes too, but not the same degree that mm-hmm. women spend on thinking about their body and hating their body. Which, by the way, our bodies are the most incredible, powerful things. We can, you know, not all not all women, but you know, a lot of women can give birth. Like our bodies mm-hmm. are literally life givers, and so I think you think of all this wasted time that women have spent on yeah on this kind of internal personal battle, and I just think such a stitch up we could just do and be doing so much more so I feel very exactly it's like when we we underestimate how much time we spend on certain things like when now you can check for example how many times like how many hours in a day you spend on Instagram and like oftentimes it's Mm -hmm. hours and it's just ridiculous when I think the amount of hours that I spent thinking about my body is ridiculous and I can see it now especially in younger women because you kind of get to a point where you know, you start embracing your body for what it is and you start loving yourself more, mm. etc. Or I hope people do. I think like it comes with maturity and age. Um, but, yeah. Um, I see it, especially in like younger cousins, for example, like we'll go out to dinner 
and they're still in their early 20s and Mm. I just sort of think please just enjoy that burger or like please just order the pizza like it's one night this isn't gonna affect your gene size like please just enjoy Mm. it and then part of me is like this it's better not to say anything because then what if they order it then they're going to be thinking about it when they go home they're going to be feeling guilty I'm like what's worse do I let them order the salad and not necessarily enjoy it but at least not spend two hours in bed worrying about it or do I encourage them to take the pizza and then spend all night crying into their pillow Mm. because they're going to put on a kilo which which isn't true by the way that's not how science works yeah (laughs) (laughs) I know it's a constant minefield it's just as you say it's just such a waste of time and mental energy yeah it's horrible anyway Emma I could sit and talk to you all evening um I have one quick question which is actually kind of ridiculous and unrelated to this I'm just curious I love a curveball hit me it is completely random and it might be really stupid but I saw a post on Instagram like a couple of days ago and it said it was a post by Lucy Boynton and I realized you guys have the same surname are you related yeah that's my sister oh my god is she your sister oh I saw her in the politician (laughs) yeah that's my sister oh my god that's so funny yeah I just thought wow yeah no that's my little sister yeah wow well very cool you have a very cool fun trivia fact yeah yeah you have a very cool life god she's the best yeah Yeah. has she ever wanted to help you with any of like her hustle stuff or we have very different work lives but she is the biggest champion and supporter of her hustle and jet and sex talks she's amazing she's been like yeah my biggest champion and and mine hers i think we both are just i mean as i say female friendships are the greatest romance of our lives and i really count her as one of my best friends and she is one of my greatest romances as a result but yeah we are one another's biggest advocate oh that's nice that's a really nice note to end on actually so me and my sister typically run this podcast she can't be here today but we usually we started it together <laughs> oh yeah i mean god i can't i can't match my sister and i do a podcast together but i don't know how that would work out but maybe <laughs> maybe one day i mean she's the wisest smartest person I know so yeah I guess would be you know ideal podcast company (laughs) watch this space yeah I'll be tuned in waiting for it yeah great (laughs) um but it was so nice to get to meet you and thank you so much for this conversation it's been fascinating and I love all the rabbit holes down which we have borrowed I it's my favorite kind of conversation so thank you yeah me too and thank you for your honesty and your openness that again my favorite kind of conversation I think it's so helpful and so refreshing and definitely the kind of things that we want to hear more of hundred percent I couldn't agree more (laughs) thanks so much for listening guys we really hope you enjoyed the episode as always please remember to rate review and subscribe we love hearing from you bye